Okay, um, thank you, musicians. Beautiful. Before we continue with the service, I want to tell you something. I'm fully aware that this is not my normal Sunday routine, as is most of you, are most of you. Uh, today, by the grace of God, I'm a messenger. God has something to say to all of us, and for some reason, uh, through Pastor Steve, he chose to use my voice as an instrument. What I have to say comes from the Word of God. Please don't listen to me. Listen to the words. Words are powerful. They come from someone's mouth and enter through your ears, or they come from a written page and enter through your eyes. They are conveyed to your mind. Your mind quickly transforms them into thoughts that you work into an impression that makes sense to you. Then you either apply that impression to your life or you refuse it and it goes into the dustbin of your mind. The impression that you apply to your life goes from your mind to your heart and there it resides, it takes root. As your heart pumps your blood through your body, body all the impressions that you have applied to your life, those that reside in your heart, are in the blood coursing through your system. Your blood is your life. Your life continuously flows from your heart to your brain to your arms and hands and to your torso, to your legs, to your feet, and back through your heart. It's constant. The words you accept determine who you are. Be careful when you decide which words you listen to and keep. Words are powerful. This is the word of God. Please stand. This is a familiar verse. It's from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You may be seated. So Father's Day, where did Father's Day come from? Anybody know? Yeah, either did I, so I looked it up. So the history has two stories behind it. Uh, one is from uh, a woman named Sonora Smart Dodd. She came up with the idea of celebrating her father by listening to a Mother's Day sermon at a church in 1909. So Sonora's dad, William Smart, is a Civil War, was a Civil War veteran, and uh, he's from Washington State, and after the war, he went back to Washington State where his farm and his family was. And during the subsequent years, uh, his wife died giving birth to their sixth child. So William stepped up and raised all six children on his farm and went on with his life. When she started thinking about her mother, who wasn't a huge part of her life, and then compared that with what her father did, she says, well, there should be a day for fathers, like my father, who sacrificed, who loved us, who did all kinds of things for us. And so it got some traction where she lived. And the next year, in 1910, on June 19th, 
they had the first Father's Day there. Now, there's a competing Father's Day on the other side of the country in Vermont. No, West Virginia, pardon me. Um, a woman, let's see, what was her name? Grace Golden Clayton. So Grace, uh, there was a mine accident, and 361 men died in the mine accident. And she wanted to have a Father's Day, because many of them were fathers, uh, to honor those men. And that, the Lutheran Church there agreed, and they had a Father's Day. That was in 1908, and it was July 5th of 1908. So a couple years before the one in Seattle, or Washington. So that's the history of Father's Day. But it didn't really become a national holiday until 1972 um, during the Nixon era when it became a national holiday. So today we are enjoying a national holiday of Father's Day that started uh, well over 100 years ago, uh, but with a lot of different starts and stops. So to all of you out there, happy Father's Day. It's also celebrated in 70 or more countries around the world, so uh, that's kind of neat, too. So how do you describe a father? How do we describe a father? What's a father to us? I asked some people about their thoughts. It's not so much describing a father, but it's how to be a father. What do you do to be a father? So here's the responses I got. A good father is a mentor, a teacher, a disciplinarian, and a friend. He is a role model who lives godly life. He is a man who is willing to invest his time in his children and who arranges his priorities to assure that that happens. My dad was a good father. A good father is, by the way, that's not me who said that. That was someone else. My dad was a good father, though. A good father is someone who is there when you need him. He is a gentle guide. Every day you wake up and try to be the best person you can. You are kind, compassionate, fair, supportive, and comforting at times when life is tough. With you, I can laugh and cry without hesitation. With you, I feel safe to share my dreams and failures, and you share generously of yours. You are not a perfect person but you are the perfect dad. You are my dad. A father is someone you can look up to, a man who will teach you great life lessons. He's a man who bears the onslaught of whatever life brings and carries on while shielding his family. Someone who is willing to listen to whatever you have to say and no matter what, loves you. A good father makes all the difference in a child's life. He's a pillar of strength, support, and discipline. His work is endless and oftentimes thankless, but in the end, it shows in the sound, well-adjusted children he raises. A father is a protector and a provider. He is strong but gentle with his children. He is also patient. So these are all good statements of fatherhood, and I think that if each one of us were to say what we thought about our fathers, we'd come close to what has been stated. But from these phrases, I'd like to focus on two. The first is, a man who will teach you great life lessons. And the second is, a man who lives a godly life. 
So Father is a man. During creation, Genesis 2, 7 through 8 says, Then the Lord formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being, a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. So God formed man from the dust and breathed life into his nostrils. The Lord planted a garden full of life-sustaining vegetation and placed the man in it. And once the man was there, God gave him instruction. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. So in creation, God made everything fully functioning. The trees were mature. The fruit was already on them. When man created Adam, he was fully functioning and fully informed. He was a man. He could walk. He could talk. He could listen. He could understand the word of God, the language of God. He was made in the image and likeness of God. He was perfect. God created him. God doesn't make anything imperfect. So what happened? When God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness, and God created man in his image, and in the image he created him, male and female, he created them, He said to our forefather, Adam, in the day that you eat from it, you shall die. That's the command. And if you don't follow the command, you who I created to live forever and to be with me forever, you will die. That's also very, very sobering. So how does that relate to us as fathers? Wind is driving me nuts here. <clears throat> okay. How can we pattern our fatherhood according to God's plan for us being a father? Upon being created, Adam was in accord with God. He was that word accord, because God said, according to our form, in our likeness. In agreement with all things. Accord means an agreement, it's in harmony. So as long as that harmony lasted, everything would be perfect. Not just all right, but perfect. You notice when the band was playing up here today, I, I sang along, but I stood in the back because I was not here for the practice. I didn't know what they were doing, and I would not have been in accord with them. I would have not have been in harmony with them because I didn't get the instruction. Now, had I gotten the instruction, there's a chance that I could have followed it, but I'm not a musician, so there's also a chance I could have been out of tune. It would have been a whole different thing. You'd have heard different things. You'd have heard me. And that's one nice thing about people who are in accord. You don't really hear them. You hear it all. And God wants us to hear it all. God wants us to be a part of it all. So he wants to be in accord with him. If we break that accord, if we break that harmony, there's a dissonance that doesn't belong so we as fathers have a huge job. 
In John 10, 27 through 30, Jesus speaks of being in accord with the Father. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they know me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus states that he and the Father are one. They are in complete agreement, in complete harmony. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the Word of creation, the Messiah of the blind and lost, gives those who follow him eternal life. His followers will never perish. They will never truly die. God the Father granted Adam a perfect eternal life in paradise. What Adam had could literally get no better. All he had to do was follow God's instruction, listen to the word of God. All he had to do was be obedient. Well, we all know what happened. Satan devised a lie with a promise, and the promise was that they could be like God, which Adam already was. He was in the image and likeness of God. He was already like God. He knew all the good that God knew. But Satan said that he could know more, that he could do more. Adam fell from grace. The gift that his father freely gave him was taken away because he disobeyed. He broke accord with the sovereign of the universe, the one who Jesus said is greater than all. I don't think we take that phrase, sovereign of the universe, seriously enough, or we don't keep it in our forefront enough. God is the sovereign of the universe. A sovereign makes a decision that cannot be broken. A sovereign makes a decision that is truly right. It's the best decision. God is sovereign. He's the sovereign of the universe. Everything that's here, he did. It's his creation, not ours. So what can we do as men, as male descendants of Adam, to be earthly fathers worthy of this day of praise? I believe the most important service that we can perform for our children is to guide them in the truth. We must show them the way by being living examples of the truth. It is our responsibility to make them understand that this life is not eternal, but eternity is available through this life. It is our God-given duty and responsibility to lead our children to Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Faith in the Almighty is the foundation of a fulfilled life. A faithless father is like a ship without a, a, without a rudder. The winds that we have every day will push that faithless father in one direction and another. And as the father is pushed, so is the family.
Without acknowledging the love of God, a father cannot show true love to his wife. And without true love between the husband and wife, the children cannot know, cannot feel the love that God wills for the family he created. A father should be in accord with God, and his wife should be in accord with him. They need to be unified. So the first step to being a good earthly father is to humble yourself before your heavenly father, to seek guidance from your real father who loves you with an unending, unfathomable love. Seek the relationship with that father with, seek the relationship that that father wills between you and him in this life. So the first step is for you as a father to go before your father. Humble yourself before him. Acknowledge he's sovereign. Acknowledge that he is your father. You are created because he created you. He created all of us. The second step to being a good earthly father is to share the love relationship you're developing with your Lord God, your father, with your wife. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present himself to the church in all her glory. That he might present him to himself, the church, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she, that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So the design of God is to be unified, unified in love and faith with your wife. As fathers, we start with that person who will bear our children. Together, you start a family. Paul says to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus gave up heaven to come to earth for us, for our salvation. He paid the ultimate price. He was steadfast in his love for us. To be good, earth, to be good earthly fathers, we are to be steadfast in our love for our wives, sacrificially, selflessly, in prayer before the Lord, in all things. Not just praying for her, but praying with her. The third step to being a good earthly father is to be faithful, is to be faithful. The third step is also be fruitful and multiply according to God's will in our lives. Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That is the first command God gave to the people he created in his image and his likeness. His desire is for the world to be filled with people who reflect him. God has never changed his will for man. He always wanted us to be fruitful and multiply. We can come up with any excuse we want to go against God's will, to sidestep that first command, but that does not change God's will. God's will doesn't change. Believers, followers of God, the faithful, are the very people God wants to be fruitful 
and multiply and fill the earth. Believers, people who reflect who God is, those made in God's image and likeness and turn toward the Lord, repent. Those are the people who follow Christ. Those are the people God most wants to be fruitful and multiply. You know, we say <clears throat> 2.3 children is good. I never saw anybody with 2.3. That's what we say. What does God say? God says, be fruitful and multiply. But didn't he say, well, things are really expensive. You know, I can't afford more than one child. In fact, it took us 10, 10 years to save for the first child. What? God, that's nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible to say you've got to save $10,000 or have the college education all put aside before you have your children. God just says, be fruitful and multiply. But see, there's a caveat. You have to start out in accord with God. Once you break that accord and you start listening to other words, and you take those words and you form the impression and you put those words in your heart, those are the words that start coursing through your body. Those are the words you start believing. You start believing what the world says. The world says, don't have so many children. If you don't have children, which I know a lot of people who don't, you really truly don't know what you're missing. Because when you see other people's children, we just got back from four days, five days with our grandchildren, <clears throat> who I love and adore. But when we're out with those kids, a lot of other people don't love and adore them. And you can tell the people who don't have kids, well, if that's what it's like, we're never having kids. But see, they don't see the rest of it. They don't see those kids come up and hug you. They don't see those kids cuddle with you. They don't see those kids or hear those kids say, you know, Grandpa or Dad, read me a story or tell me a story. Or can we do this or can we do that? Or they show you things that they made. They want you to be part of their lives. But they're all young. They're kids and they act like kids. And as adults, we forget how to act like kids and we forget what a challenge that is. But God says, have kids. He wants us to have kids. He wants to have lots of kids. God will decide when you've had enough. Mom, my mom had two children, my brother and I. He's a year older. Then she had three miscarriages. And she was devastated after every one of them. And then she went to do a novena. And don't ask me what that is, but it's a Catholic thing. <clears throat> but I think it takes a week. And she did the novena, asking God to please give her more children. And lo and behold, I got a little baby sister when I was 12 years old. And then two years later, I got a little baby brother. My mother went and did another novena. And she says, God, I think that's enough. And she stopped having children. It was God made those decisions. She was faithful. She went to the Lord and said, I don't know what's wrong, but I want you to fix it because I really want to be fruitful and I want to multiply. And God honored that. When we start taking those decisions away from God, we take God's sovereignty away, not from God. We take it away from us. And when you break sovereignty with God, you're denying God. You're putting yourself in God's place. 
We need to not do that as fathers. We are the spiritual leaders of our households. That's biblical. If you decide not to do that, you again are taking sovereignty away from God. God does not want you to do that. He wants you to be in accord with him. He wants all of us to be in harmony with him. It starts with fathers. <clears throat> so the fourth step, this is the last step, by the way. Well, probably the biggest one. The fourth step to, that leads to being a good earthly father concerns, concerns actively loving your children. The children with whom God has blessed you. In the book of Luke, we witness a portion of an earthly father's active love as he speaks to his older son after his younger son, the prodigal son, who lavishly spent his inheritance freely and recklessly, wastefully and extravagantly, has left his life of sin to come back home. So Luke 15, 31 through 32 says, And the father said to him, the oldest son, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. So we recall that the younger son, um, don't know how old he was when it happened, but he was the younger son. He had his own ideas about life. The father, his dad, had a plan for him. I think all fathers have plans for their children. Um, but he had his own ideas. And he says, Dad, I want you to give me my inheritance. I got some things on my mind. I want to try them out. You know, I can picture his dad, you know, the Bible doesn't say this, but I can picture his dad saying, wait a minute, you know, you're really not old enough yet. You don't have enough life experience. You're not responsible, you know. This is not a good idea. But as children do, oh, come on, please, Dad, please, come on. You, you don't do anything for me, second child, right? Every, you know, my older brother gets everything. You know, just let me have this. So the father acquiesced. He gave in. And he gave his son the inheritance. And soon the son, you know, put on all his good clothes, loaded up the camel, and took off to make his own way in the world. And as young sons often do, he found a place where he could have a good time. He started spending, having a party. Everybody liked him. It's a good time, Charlie. Fell into sin deeper and deeper until he ran out of money. When he ran out of his inheritance, it just so happened that there was a famine in that part of the world. So everything was tough. He didn't have anything to eat. He, started, he hired himself out enslaved himself to someone who had him feed the hogs, feed the swine. So there, this guy who had everything except for patience and good sense was out feeding swine and longed for the pods that the swine were eating because he was so hungry. His clothes were in tatters. He didn't have any place to go, any place to sleep except outside, under a tree, whatever. He was ragged. He was filthy. And it occurred to him that the servants in his father's house had way more than he had. And he decided that I need to tell my father that I've sinned against him and against God. I need to return there. At least there, 
I will have something to eat and a place to sleep. It's interesting, as he comes back home, makes his way back home, the Bible said, and the father recognized him from far off. I don't know how far off that was, but, you know, sometimes you can see someone who you know, and you've known that person for a long time, and that person can be a couple hundred yards away. You can't see the features of his face or anything, but you see how that person walks, the gait or something, and you know for a fact that's Fred. You know who it is. But picture this kid. He's been gone. He's lost everything. He's been, you know, eating whatever the f he can pick off the ground. His clothes are all tattered. He hasn't been getting nutrition. He hasn't cut his hair. He hasn't washed. He's probably bent over because of the heavy load he's carrying in his life, not physically, but emotionally. The father sees this lone figure, and he starts rushing out to him. He goes, my son. The servants start rushing out with him, and he goes up, and what does he do? He hugs this kid. He hugs this kid. He says, I'm so glad you're back. And the son says, Father, I have sinned against you and against God. I'm not worthy to be your son. And does the father say the Jewish equivalent of, I told you so? No. No, he says, bring out the robe, bring out the ring, kill the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate. My son, who was dead, lives. Who was lost has been found. <clears throat> this is a father who loves his son, who forgives his son. The older brother, however, didn't have the same viewpoint. He had a problem with this. You never killed the fattened calf for me. Well, you were never dead. You were never lost. Everything I have is for you. My gosh, don't be jealous of your brother. Be rejoiceful. He's lost and he's been found. He was dead. He's back. He's living. He's with us. That is a cause for rejoicing. Now, I know people who have fathers who they don't talk to. I know fathers who have sons, daughters, they don't talk to because there's a rift. The one hopes that the other one will be able to discern what went wrong and come and ask for forgiveness. Either one of those needs to turn toward our Father, ask Him for forgiveness, ask His will. Somebody's got to make the first step. I would say it's the Father. I would say it's the parent. Kids don't get that way by accident. Kids don't return by accident. So the Bible teaches us the value of discipline. Sometimes biblically-based discipline seems harsh to us today. But when I look around at the discipline being meted out by the world on those sons and daughters who lack the discipline of a loving father, my heart literally breaks. I believe that being blind to, I'm sorry, 
I believe that being blind to and as a result unable to live according to the will of God in our lives as fathers has led to the rampant use of drugs and alcohol, the cavalier attitude towards sex outside of marriage, and the acceptance of violence as a viable tool to solve both real and perceived problems of our children. Our children are not just learning these things on television and in video games. They are witnessing these activities in our homes, in our schools, and in our communities. We are under attack every day, every moment of every day. So what is the solution? All solutions begin with God. God knows everything. He knows we are going to struggle with sin. He knows we are going to be weak, blind, lost, and confused. He knows that Satan roams the world seeking those he can ensnare in sin and hold captive from the will of God. And at his good pleasure, he knows that he can devour them. And because God knows all of this, and because he so loves us, God so loves us, he provided the solution. Our Father provided his Son. As Christian fathers, we need to go no further than Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. His children are the church. Through his Holy Spirit, he is preparing us for the life that the Father has prepared for us since the beginning. Jesus the Son is one with the Father. Jesus has nullified the consequences of all sin, including the original sin, by paying the price for all sin with his own blood sacrifice. Through faith in him, through faith in Christ, by being spiritually reborn, through the renewal of our minds by the Holy Spirit, we are without blemish and reunited in harmony, in agreement, in accord with the Father. I'm going to repeat that. By faith in Jesus Christ, through him, through Christ, we are back in harmony, back in agreement, back in accord, in unity with the Father who created us in his own image, in the likeness of God. He created us. We may not look this any different. We may look the same as we look right now, but we will be different. Our children may recognize our faces as, oh, that's my dad. But I wonder if they'll recognize our being, how we are, who we are, what we are, what we do. If your kids can see a change in you, and it's a good change, then you've, you've been successful because people want to be around good. They want to know they can trust you. They want to know when you open your mouth, it's the truth. And the truth comes from one source. The absolute truth is God. So the, so the solution to the scourge of rampant apostasy is for the fathers and grandfathers to go back to the first step and humble ourselves before God, to repent and seek his forgiveness for our sins, then to seek and pray for our own sight in order to discern his will in our lives. Then to pray for the anointing of his Holy Spirit so that we can be prepared for the battle that is before us, 
Satan will not give up our children easily. The next step then is the step two above, love our wives like Christ loved the church. The step after that is to follow God's command to be fruitful and multiply. And of course, not just that command, all of God's commands. We need to obediently rely on God in all things, no matter what the world tells us. The fourth step to actively love our children, we need to focus all of our attention on the goal with Christ as our leader. We, who would be good fathers and grandfathers, must guide our children and grandchildren back to the truth, back to the light, back to the way, back to life. We must be steadfast. We must be selfless. We must be godly men. Today, as our children honor us, who are sinners, who fall far short of the glory of God, let us redirect that honor and praise with our children as witnesses to and partakers of the gifts of mercy and love that God freely provides through His Son, our Messiah, Jesus, to our Lord, our God, our true Father, the praise direct to Him. Please join me as we lift up our faces to heaven and we cry out to our Father, our true Father, a happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, Lord. We praise you, we glorify you, we honor you. Now we'll close in prayer. You'll bow your head, please. And Jesus said, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father, yes, Lord, we acknowledge that you are our Father, the God of the universe, the Sovereign. You are our Father, and we acknowledge that. Who art in heaven, Lord, you're in heaven, and yet you're with us. You're beyond the veil. We long for a glimpse. We long for the peace and the unity and the order of heaven. We know that you have all that in heaven. You're our Father. Hallowed be thy name. Holy be the very name of you, Lord. We should always speak that in awe, in reverence. And whenever we speak it, we should be going before you, Lord. Thy kingdom come. Lord, we pray that your kingdom comes here, not the kingdoms that we make. They're flawed. They're sinful. They're really ruled by Satan. We want your kingdom in our lives, Lord, and through that kingdom, through our lives, that we can pass that kingdom to our children, through us, unity with our wives. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, it's easy to say thy will be done. It's really hard to do. But Lord, we, we want to do that. We want your will in our lives. We want to know what it feels like to be a true son of God, to be in your image and your likeness. We want to be that not just for us, Lord, but for our children, and not only our biological children, for all the children, for other children who maybe don't have a dad. We want them to be able to see us and see the truth in us, your truth, your will in our lives. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we know we need the sustenance. We need the real bread for us physically, but we need so much more, the bread of your life, the word, the living word. Lord, that's what we want every day. Help us to be 
the kind of men who open our day with prayer. And after prayer, open your word. May that word just come off those pages, come into our minds. Let that word, that truth, have an impression on us. Let us decide to put that word, that truth, into our hearts. Let that word course in our blood throughout our body. Let your word be who we live to be. And forgive us our temptations, our debts, our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. It's easy for us to ask you for forgiveness, Lord, and we truly want that forgiveness. Lord, help us to be strong enough to forgive those who have sinned against us, who have wronged us. Help us to be in truth, in patience, in gentleness, able to go before those people and forgive them. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It is all around us, Lord. The temptation and the evil is all around us. We get it every day. Don't lead us into it. Be a be strong wall around us. Let your spirit live within us. Let us know your word. If we know your word, we can be like Christ when he was tempted. He answered every temptation with the word of God, with the living word. That's what we want in our hearts, Lord. That's what we want in our lives. In these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.